You're listening to Life in Our Skin, a podcast created for women in the middle. Here, we discuss unique perspectives of our American experience living between the white and black communities. I'm Lisa Harris. And I'm Anahita Champion. Join us as we share life in our skin, raw and unedited. Hello, hello, hello. We are so thrilled to be back for our next episode of Life in Our Skin. Hello, everybody. This is Lisa Harris, and I am one of your co-hosts for Life in Our Skin. And I'm thrilled to be back after, oh, I don't know, when the, whenever the last one was. And we're here again to share with you this amazing story from another amazing guest. But first and foremost, I just want to remind you what our podcast is all about. And we are here to create space for women in the middle. Women are here to share their American experiences living between the white and the black communities. And we're excited to learn about them and create space for them. And I'm here today with my dear friend and co-host, Miss Anahita Champion. Hello, Anahita. Hey, hey, hey. Lisa Harris, Anahita, the champion in the house. Woo! We keep saying we need like an applause. Um, yeah, we do. We need some address, music. Let's address the beautiful elephant in the room. You and I had the flu at the exact same time. Exactly. And we, um, we sound extra sexy today because of it. Yes, so, we do. For those friends uh, listening, enjoy our voices and the little <laughs> sound effects we are bringing to you with the ahems and the ahs. You know, we're working through it all. We're working through it we're all. We're working through it all. Um, but it's not about that. It's about the conversations we're having today. I met our guest. Okay, so on the last episode, everybody heard Dorothy Inez's story, a little bit about what she was sharing, right? I met our next guest at Dorothy Inez's birthday party. Um, Jen Roddy and I were putting together a fun birthday theme for Dorothy Inez. We had the banners up, getting balloons up, getting the tea party like set up because she had a tea party theme. And so we sent Dorothy Inez to go get ready. And so Jen and I were talking and I was like, listen, I need to hear the rest of the story, couple of bottles of wine or whatever, but for sure we needed to have her on this episode. So it is my pleasure to welcome um, our next guest, who is a professional, like, performer, like her vocals, her, and she's like really creatively talented in the beauty industry, makeup and hair and all that jazz. So, but aside from professional stuff, we're deep, we're diving deeper today on the topic of identity because her story is exceptional. Uh, so please welcome Jen Roddy. Hey, hey <laughs> you're right. There needs to be like a little applause. <laughs> I know we agree with you, Jen, hundred percent. And what? I will join the sexy voice club with you guys. Cause I am still mm. dealing with something, something, but not COVID. Yay. Not no, which sound great. So all of us mm. will be um, gracing our listeners with dazzling voices. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to be all over the board and we are so, so excited to be here. And I am super excited to learn more about you, Jen. And 
I know Anahita has shared some bits and pieces and you've shared with us some bits and pieces, but this is gonna be an extraordinary episode, really, really taking a deep dive into your life mm. in between the white and black community. And I think there are gonna be a lot, a lot of our listeners who are gonna resonate with your story and how you've navigated um, your lived experiences. So without further ado, we're gonna <laughs> start where we always start. We like to start at the beginning, which is your little girl self. So for the audiences and anyone listening, we'd like to get back to that little girl. So maybe you can help us understand a little bit more about your most authentic self, your who you were when you were little. What did you enjoy? Maybe a little bit about your family dynamics so that our audience can kind of set the stage for who you were back then. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think the most important thing to know about my little girl story is that I was adopted when I was three months old. And um, I am fine to say how old I am. I'm 55 years old. It does not feel like that at all, though, I will tell you. Um, and so when I was adopted, it was a very different time of the world. And, and I was adopted through Catholic Charities when I was three months old and my parents had a child, my sister. And by the time they realized they were not able to have more children and went through the whole adoption process, which was long and intense back in those days, my sister was 12 years old when I came along. So we, the family wow. dynamic was very unique. Uh, she wasn't really even like a sister to me because she was so much older than me. And by the time I was seven, she was out of the house and married for the first time. That's another story. Yeah, we have a lot of stories. <laughs> yeah, I do have a lot of stories. They all kind of tributary off each other. But so um, my parents, as I found out later, you know, adoption was, I think it was more motivated by my dad. And he, um, you know, I'm now that I've had two children of my own, I understand what it must have been like for my mom to have had a child and not have, be able to have anymore. So when they decided to adopt, it was probably very difficult for her. And um, so I think there might have been some overcompensation in how they brought me into the family in terms of what they said to me to make me and them feel as though I belonged. Now, I was told that I was, <laughs> my ethnic background was all European. Cauc you know, it was... Um, French, Irish, um, German, and uh, might have even but I they did tell me that my birth father was supposedly Jewish. And the whole reason why my birth parents didn't stay together was because she was Catholic and he was Jewish and his his family wasn't okay with that. And so that's why she placed me for adoption, which I found out later was completely not true. That's another story. <laughs> and so my parents really made me feel amazing and they've made me feel very accepted. Um, I was their little angel. I was special because I was chosen. They used to pretend I had little wings on the back of my, my you know, on my back and that, you know, um, so it was all this very um, presentational. Uh, I love yous all the time. I never felt any different. I never felt different. I didn't really understand what being adopted was truly about. I just knew that that's what they told me. 
but I didn't have any, you know, there were no pictures. I didn't have any information from my birth family because they mm. were closed adoptions back then. Yeah. So this was, you know, 1967. Yeah. And so it was, uh, you know, growing up felt, it felt very normal to me until it didn't. But um, really, my story didn't start changing till I was in my 20s. So my, I had a great childhood. I, my parents were married for almost 60 years. They um, gave me a very stable, secure family to grow up in. Um, I was really raised like an only child, because like I said, my sister was gone when she was 19 years old. And so I didn't really know what it was like to have a sister because we didn't have that kind of dynamic. Um, so I'm, I was pretty spoiled rotten, I will admit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Nothing I, wrong with that. No. Well, no. you know, your parents are in a very different financial place in 12 years. And um, they yeah. learned a lot from raising one. And so it was like starting over for them. But sure. So, yeah, that's kind of, you know, I, um, I really have a faint memories of a lot of childhood. I think there were a lot of things that I just kind of blocked out and I don't think it's because of trauma necessarily. Um, but I think that, uh, the things that I tend to focus on are all those positives, but they're not a lot of, um, detailed memories I have from my childhood. I have a, a few pictures. My parents didn't take as many pictures of me as a baby um, as they probably did of my, my older sister, which Second is normal. Second child syndrome. Right? It is yeah, right. true. So I did, when I got my own camera as a little kid, I, I did take a lot of pictures because I just wanted to remember everything. So, but, I'm, um, curious. so I'm curious, Jen, um, can you share with us even a little bit more about just your personality. So you're painting a, a, definitely a beautiful picture of initially what the adoption story looked like in your family and, and the love that was poured onto you as an only child or a feeling of only child, right? Because your sister was so much older. Um, a little bit more about you, your, you know, your personality, because I think what we'll discover is how the, that how that comes into play as we start to learn more about this um, adoption story and identity story. Right. I, I feel like I was just a really happy, bubbly kid. I've always been uh, very much an extrovert. I, because I didn't really grow up with siblings, I was very comfortable around adults and um, could talk to anybody. My mom was very outgoing and I saw kind of how she was. And so I, I took that on. And it, I was just very comfortable in front of people. And I think that sort of carried into my life as a performer later, but I got bitten by the bug in fifth grade. I got my first solo in a, in a concert for <laughs> um, the Bloomington Allstate or no, not Allstate, Bloomington All City Choir when I was Ooh, in fifth grade. Hey girl. <laughs> and they chose me to be Annie and that was <gasps> it. I was like, oh, oh. this is it is what I'm doing oh my yeah God, you got crazy. on the stage and that I was it I think it was the curly hair <laughs> and the voice and the animation right 
Did you, you know, do more theatrical and just like creative arts? Were you like a really creative kid with arts and crafts and like yes. just putting things together? Oh my yeah, gosh. I was my seventh and eighth grade art teacher loved me. And I was, um, I was one of those just, it just came easy to me. I was very um, gifted at drawing, painting, anything creative like that. Just an artist, 100% math and science run screaming with my hair on fire. Oh my God. I just could, I couldn't get out of math class fast enough. <laughs> it was terrible. I would have math, math nightmares as a kid. Um, so that is, it definitely was an artist from, from day one. It just was where I was comfortable. And as I got older, I think those were my people too. I really found that the, the creative, um, sort of outcasty people were the ones that I was the most drawn to mm. and um, really the arts and sciences saved me through high school because I absolutely hated high school it was just mm. it was not I went to a very clicky like I always say if you ever have seen the movie um, The Breakfast Club yeah that was that was my, and Glee Glee was definitely oh. I really that show totally I think if there were if there were slushy machines, I would have had slushy in the face at least once a, <laughs> oh, once a no. week. Oh, oh totally. I was a total music and theater nerd, 100%. But it's so hard to feel comfortable, like in your own skin with the things that you want to do and the other multiple personalities and like blooming hormones and, oh, yeah. you know, all <laughs> those things. Um, and all you want to do is just perform on a stage. Oh, high school is a hard one to navigate. High school is a hard one to navigate. High school is a oh, Regardless. For, right. For anybody. It really, truly is. Right? So true. So let's fast forward a little bit because your story is exceptional. <clears throat> How does your... And you can kind of take us through what age or wherever you want to take this next you know, bit of the conversation. How does your identity or did your identity change? Because, like you're blossoming into this. So what you knew of your birth parents and then the environment that you were raised in and um, the neighborhood that you were raised in and the activities that you were participating in, how did that affect? Did you have any, did you feel different at any point? Did you like kind of sense different things, maybe high school, college, or I guess just overall arching identity through life, maybe through your high school, college years, what stood mm -hmm. out to you that maybe you want to explore with us um, that kind of started to take shape and impact your identity? Uh, I, I grew up in a very, I was adopted by a very white family. In fact, my dad was 100% Italian, and that's really how I related. And back then, they really color wise like like skin tone hair color eye color they matched you to your adoptive family so that you wouldn't look like you weren't part of the family so i definitely blended well um i have you know because we're people can't see what i look like uh in the podcast i have very you know medium tone skin uh people mostly think that I am Latina and that is on the tree. Um, and we can go into all of that later, but my identity was white. <laughs> I just identified as white and I went to a 
very, I mean, I grew up in Bloomington, Minnesota. So I went to a very Caucasian school, um, suburban school. And my friends tended to be the people of color. I don't have any thoughts about why that was, but that just seems to be who I gravitated towards. So that's kind of an interesting beginning of that. Um, As I got to college, went to college in Wisconsin, white, (laughs) um, (laughs) had very few friends of color in college. Um, They just weren't there. Um, But I remember because I, my degrees in, in music, vocal performance. So I was um, classically trained singer, but mostly did musical theater and um, you know, variety kind of shows and stuff at when I was <clears throat> professional full time. But one of the things that one of my professors did is he said, you know what, we were talking about, it was an acting class and we were talking about type and, um, you know, actors need to know their type. They need to know what category they fall into so that they know what to audition for and where they fit most and all of that. And so that was sort of the beginning of the identity thing for me. He said, I can tell all of you what your type is. And I was like, oh, I, I want to know what my type is because I really had no idea. <laughs> so I, because I, what I thought I was, yeah. was so off the mark. I mean, I was so, so wrong. I, so I asked him, I said, you, you know, I pulled him after class and I said, you said that you would write out how you, you would describe my type. What is yeah. my type? Yeah. So Here we go. Did, <laughs> I am sure I still have that piece of paper somewhere in, in my mem- my memorabilia, oh my but God. it was the, you are the best friend of the lead, not the ingenue. You are either the bad girl or you're the, um, you could be the uh, antagonist, but um, you're always the secondary lead for the most part. Mm, now, keep in mind, this is, this is where I am in my twenties. So yeah, it's um, a big and, deal. And then you are always, um, well, you are, you know, and then he started going into race. You, you are ethnic, you are, um, you know, oh. look more Latino, Latina. I don't even know what the term was back then that he said, I should pull this out. I haven't read it in years, but I was, I was shocked. I was sad because oh, it's not yeah. how I saw myself at all. Yeah. Um, but I was like, oh, okay. And then that just kind of got put on the back burner. And, you know, when you're doing college theater, it's really anybody's cast in whatever. It's not really real life. So yeah. people are cast wherever they're cast. But then as I got out of college and I started doing on camera work as an actor, I was always brought in for um, ethnic characters, ethnic roles. And I just was like, oh, I guess that's how I. I'm fitting that we used to joke back in the day that it was the safe ethnic. Um, you know, you, you're, yeah. you don't know what she is. She could be Jewish. She could be black. She could be mixed. She could be Italian. She could be Latina. It could be anything. So I have a question now. So you're basically saying that you saw yourself based on the information that you knew that you were primarily a white woman. Yeah. And and all of these people around you in the professional setting were saying, hmm, I think you fit into this box. Yeah. So help me understand, like, even for your own self, like, obviously, this is an identity question, but like, did that make you feel proud? Were you kind of put off? Because 
you were in essence a white woman, right? So some white women might be, oh, this is kind of fun and unique. I can play a different role. Others might be like kind of put off. Oh, I don't want to be a woman of color. I mean, that's the truth, right? So here you are like these mixed messages um, and you are in this moment before you find out more. (laughs) So how did that feel? Like there's a lot going on in just that. I felt all of those things that you're saying um, at different points. I think at first, you're going to laugh when I tell you this. So um, (laughs) I used to get really upset when people would put darker makeup on me (laughs) when I was on set um, for, for a commercial or whatever it was. And I was like, oh my God, that's too dark for me. You know, like, like it was it was somehow offending that sensibility in me that people saw me other than I saw myself. But that was really, that didn't last too long because what I found is it's a way that I am getting into what I want to do, which was being an actor, being, um, being a, a TV or on camera personality or, or actor. And it's a way in. So if they see me, if I'm filling a role, if I'm checking a box for them, okay. I mean, it's not really what I am, but I guess, you know, I'm an actor. I can You're getting work. Whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and I was always paired with husbands that were Latino. Um, and so we used to always joke, like I've got my, my three or four on camera husbands, you know, in the market that are, that were always put together. <laughs> And so it was so funny because, um, so I, that's just sort of, that's just sort of the box that I checked. And, and so I got over the being up, upset or up, I, I was never really upset. It was just confounding to me. I sure. think that was probably the biggest way to describe that. But as I went on and just kind of was one with, with it, because I was working more than a lot of the colleagues of mine that were white, because I was able to slip into that um, generically ethnic person yeah, that sure. they needed to fill their, you know, whatever. Where, their, when blue, their the roster. Blue right. That's right. also okay. a beautiful thing in your life story too, um, sure. is being in that space in that where range. you can be anybody, you can bridge anything. So um, I have a question. I love where this, okay, go ahead. You question. go ahead, Anita. <laughs> <laughs> There's a twist in your story though. Yeah. And when you were on set and they were doing like darker complexion makeup, were you, was this in your twenties? Yeah. Okay. Twenties. Yeah. Twenties. You know, I mean, I think that's when it started when I started going, Oh, okay. You know, so there was a pivotal moment in your twenties about your birth. Yeah, there was. So take us down this twist. (laughs) I was uh, working in northern New Jersey as a singer, dancer um, in a variety show in a theme park. (laughs) And it was the summer of um, I was going into my super senior year in college. And (laughs) and I got this call um this is before cell phones and everything and so my parents called me and they said we just got a call from someone at catholic charities that says they're a post-adoption counselor and they are looking for you and i was like well that's weird i have no idea what that means 
So they, we called them and, and they won't give us any answers. They said they have to talk to you directly. Okay. So I called them and they um, talked to the woman who said, your birth parents are looking for you. Uh, we tried to contact you directly, but because, you know, I was still in college. And so my legal address and phone number was still my parents. And so um, apparently the laws had changed in Minnesota uh, at that, around that time or shortly before that once you were 19 years old, birth parents could search for their children that they had placed for adoption without going through the adoptive parents. And so my, um, my birth mother and I will, <laughs> I will say who we thought was my birth father uh, were searching for me together. And so I had the opportunity to open the door or close the door at that particular moment in time. And of course, my parents were not prepared for that at all. Sure. They were told when they adopted me through Catholic Charities that that would never be a reality, that mm. they would never have to deal with the um, birth the parents laws changed and the laws changed. And so, yeah. so my, I think my parents were very much proponents of shut the door and I was like, heck no, this makes no, why would I do that? I have all these questions I didn't even know I had. And now I have, mm -hmm. you know, possibility of getting them answered. So, um, so that was the beginning of that. So I was 23 when that happened. And um, so it was a writing relationship with them for quite a while. So it went through, it was called non-identifying information. So I would write a letter send it into Catholic charities, they would go through it, they would make sure there wasn't any identifying information, they would pass it on to my birth parents, mm. same way back and forth. And so we did that for probably a year. And then I ended up meeting my birth mother first, because she happened to be in Minnesota. Wow. And I ended up meeting her uh, about a year, a year later. So was this in the 80s? I'm just yeah, trying to understand adoption yep, laws and like, what the world looked like, right? I mean, we were talking yeah. about ethnicity and things yeah. that your old professor said, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to form in my mind. Okay. So you're 23, you're writing for a year mm -hmm. um, via Catholic Charities, mm -hmm. and you finally meet your mom. Okay. Where do we go next, Jen? Tell us more. Oh this is this is without wine. I mean, let's keep. Let's, this right? is great. I have coffee, but that's different. <laughs> <laughs> well, my not only did I meet my birth mother that summer of 1990, I also met my half sister, who wait for it. You don't even know this, Anahita. I didn't even get a chance to tell you this. <laughs> oh lord. Um, my my half sister's name is also Jennifer. Stop. And we are three years apart. She's three years younger than me. We have different dads. Um, and she knew about me when she was 14. And so she was so excited to meet me because she didn't have any other siblings. And what was really interesting is it was almost an immediate connection with her. It was like, wow, this is what it feels like to have a sister. Immediately. I felt like, oh, this is what it likes. It was really a weird it connection. Yeah. Yep, it sure did. And nobody believes that whenever we're together, and we don't see each other that often. She lives in Texas. But um, when, <laughs> when we are together, I'm like, well, this is my sister. Her name's Jennifer. People are like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, truly. We have the, yeah, it's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I had a relationship with, um, with them. I still do my, my birth father and I met, um, uh, maybe a year after that. And I will say, I will say who I thought was my birth father. Um, so, so were your, um, birth parents, uh, no longer together at this time? They were never together. In oh, fact, never together. um, okay. when my birth mother told him that she was pregnant and keep in mind, they were 19 years old at the time, yeah. the summer of 66, uh, she, she said he was out, <laughs> he, yeah. he pieced out. Yeah. And, um, so who uh, you thought was your birth father, who we thought was my birth father, who yeah. she thought was my birth father. Oh my, who she thought was my birth father. And huh. so, um, I don't know how much we want to fast forward. Cause I know we have a time. I think, yeah. I think it would be great for everyone to understand your birth, your adopted parents were white. Yes. And your birth parents. My birth mother was white. And okay. your and after you met them and started talking to them, you did confirm that your birth mother at that time was white. And yep. your birth father, who you knew as your birth father, was Jewish. Okay. Jewish. Yeah. Wow. So did now, that click? Did that make sense? Did that Well, yeah, I was like, oh, I'm Jewish. That okay, makes so perfect. sense to me because I've got this curly hair. I've got this darker <laughs> skin. I'm I'm a I'm a a Sephardic Jew. I get okay. Perfect. Now that's, where, that's where this all makes sense to me now. And I thought that I looked like I his name was Mike. I thought I looked like him. I okay. swear to God, when I first met him, I was like, oh. Oh. that's who I look like. Cause you know, as an adopted person, nobody around you looks like yeah. you. you don't have any, you know, having children for me was cathartic because now I've got these two humans who look like me. These that are like genetic material. And, um, so that was really, really amazing to me. But as, as things went on and I'll just say we had a relationship, um, for 23 ish years uh, maybe even longer. And, uh, when, you know, ancestry came out with DNA testing and all of that. And I was like, Oh, cool. I'm going to have my DNA tested. So I had my DNA tested and it was a colorful pie chart. My friends colorful. Okay. So oh before God. we talk about the pie chart, I do yeah. understand <clears throat> now you think you're Jewish. So were you yeah. exploring or asking questions about yeah. that? Or were you still just Maybe not in that space. Maybe help us understand what you discovered about um, your birth father and his Jewish background and, and how you connected with that a little bit more. And then let's talk about what you discovered with Ancestry.com. Well, the birth father thing of it, he had, he was an interesting human. He had five other children with three other women. And so I'm like, Ooh, I have all of these half siblings wow. and, um, and you know, none of them were really raised Jewish. He wasn't, um, he was what you would call a high holy day Jew. He was not somebody who really was that super in tune to his religion, but it was definitely an identity for him. And I, um, spent time with him and, uh, he actually planned a trip to Israel that he took my husband and I on. Wow. Um, and that's, that's a really interesting part of the story too. Um, I will get to that. So we had this trip to Israel planned and he um, offered it up to all of his other children, but nobody decided they wanted to go. So it was just my husband and I, and 
his um, girlfriend at the time. And so backing up a little bit with um, really identifying as do I, I really didn't know much, but I mean, I'm, I grew up Catholic and so um, you know, and I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a, a religious person. I'm very spiritual and I, you know, Catholic is where I've, I, I know and understand, but, um, I was very interested in knowing more about the Jewish part of my heritage at the time. So I thought, so then, um, I'll just fast forward in the interest of time to my DNA test which when I got it, I was like, now DNA has come a long way, even since I had my test done about eight years ago. <clears throat> and at the time there was even like 14% what they called unaccounted. Like they couldn't, there's 14% in that colorful pie chart of mine that was not accounted for. So it was an, it was enough though, that my birth father was like, um, Hmm, that's interesting. I'm going to have my DNA done too. So I think at that, at that point, my DNA said maybe 3% Jewish. <gasps> and so he had his DNA done yeah. and his DNA came back like 98% Jewish. Yeah. And when he looked at me, he's like, I don't think you're my kid. I'm like, wait, what? I mean, now keep in mind, this is like 23 years of thinking this is my birth father. And how old are you at this time when this happened? Um, in my forties. Oh boy. Yeah, mid, wow. mid 40s, okay. mm, late, mid to late 40s, 46-ish. So 47. who are you, Jen? Who right. <laughs> and I, so I'm like, uh, well, DNA could be wrong. I mean, how, what do you mean? What do you mean I'm not? I mean, it was, <laughs> it was tearing me apart. It was mm. terrible. And meanwhile, we've got this trip planned to Israel together, right? Oh, no. And so, um, so he just kept saying this to me and it was so... I just felt like, oh my God, I'm being rejected. Like, this is so rejecting. It's like, mm -hmm. so, and I think that's been a theme throughout my life too, is just the whole not fitting anywhere kind of thing. But, yeah. um, so as finally I just had had it, I'm like, okay, I'm, we're going to have a paternity test done. And so I was the one that called for it. I sent for it. I got a paternity test. I sent in the stuff. He sent in the stuff and it came back literally the day before we were going to Israel <gasps> that I was not his child biological oh. child. <laughs> my Lanta where's the wine oh my gosh right? this is good so I was like what the what I I didn't even know how to process this and and it was just kind of like well we're still gonna go to Israel and you know it was it was really interesting though because he um, part of the story that's kind of important to know about him is that he was the one who started the search for me. And because he hadn't acknowledged paternity at the time that I was born, he had to search for my birth mother and get her written consent to search for me. And then they kind of searched in tandem. He hadn't had any contact with her at all since he peaced out. So that being said, when, when he decided to search for me, it was this time in his life where he was he had gotten someone pregnant after not being married to them again it sort of like triggered him and he was like oh I need to make this right this time so he married this woman even though it shouldn't have been a marriage and having already had two kids at that point this third kid for him was like a, um 
motivation to search for me. Cause he's like, I've got to make it right with this floating child I have out there somewhere. So that was, um, and he admittedly said that he searched for me due to, um, uh, obligation and guilt. <laughs> Wait, and so, so he's, a, he, is his name on your birth certificate? No. Okay. No, no. And that was another part of it. Um, so when you're, when I, when adoptions happened back then, there was the original birth certificate and she did not name him, which was why he had to get her written consent to search yeah. to say yes legally he because she my birth mother thought he was yeah my birth father and so that was um they, they changed then when they they issued you a new birth certificate then when you were placed for adoption with your new family oh. and so my birth certificate had that I saw had my parents name on it okay so I don't think I've ever seen my original birth certificate. I think I would have to petition Catholic charities for that or something. But so, yeah, go. Yeah. So in the essence of time, we would love to. Time. What is time? I just oh, want to hear more story. So I'm like, oh, gosh. So, Jen, what did you discover? What did you discover on that? And where has that taken you now on your identity journey where you know where how do you how do you wrap this up on when where you're heading and what you're discovering about yourself based on this information and the pie chart know. like what was prominent mm -hmm. on that pie chart yeah. well um well all the things really I mean when people say what are you I just go yes now um because <laughs> so I'll just tell you briefly that my I when I told my birth mother she was floored she did not at all she, she was shocked as I was. And she said, well, it must've been the, you know, when you hear that you're product of a one night stand, you just like, well, okay, I guess, you know, uh, <laughs> is what it is. Mom had a good time. <laughs> but she said, I remember he was, um, that he, she said, she thought that he, she remembered he was identified as Jamaican and which would, play out correctly if I look at my pie chart and I look at all the there were very very many African countries in the pie chart there's also Spain there's also um uh South America I mean it's it really travels like the slave trade if you look at where mm. where a lot of my um ethnic background comes from but it's it's still like you know 60 percent European. Okay. And then the rest of it is, um, is all the colors really. Wow. So how do I identify now? I, you know, I've tossed around, um, searching for that part of my family. There are things that come up on ancestry when you've had your DNA done through them, you'll get, um, notifications of biological relations that, uh, now my birth mother has had her DNA done. So it'll say either on your mother's side or it will say nothing. So if it says nothing, then it must be on my birth father's side. So I see people who are DNA related to me on my birth father's side, on my paternal side that are Latino looking, that are black, that are white. It is crazy to look at that. It is 
like I've screenshotted because they'll have pictures up. I'm like, these are all of the people that are related to me. And it's, it fascinates me. And I, at some, my husband keeps egging me on to, to search, but I don't necessarily, I don't even know if my birth father's still alive, but I, I definitely would love to see photos or even to see if I have other half siblings out there um, just to see, you know, what these people are like, but yeah, I walk through all worlds and I, I think I've looked at it now as positive that it is um, something that most people will look at me and identify and, and will see me as who they are. Right. So if I'm in a white space, they see me as white. If I'm in a Latino space, they see me as Latino. If I'm in a black space, they'll look at me as being mixed or, you know, it's on the tree. And a lot of my black friends will say, Oh girl, I knew it before you did. <laughs> oh, girl. So, it's like a real life chameleon example. Like you just kind of <clears throat> embody the environment that you're in, in that moment, which is so interesting to think back to the part of your story you shared about those yes. makeup artists that used darker yes. complexion because of how right. they saw you versus what you identified and knew. Right. I think that's also a beautiful lesson too, is we do seek to see in others parts of ourselves. And sometimes to some that may seem uh, more selfish or that might seem kind of like segregating, but I do feel like there is a beauty to that, that you see yourself. And so when we see ourselves, we can connect better with other people. And I think, like you said, it's such a beautiful gift in, and I'm sure just like all of us, you're still navigating your own identity. You're still discovering what you want to hold on to and what you want to let go of. And, oh my gosh, this is such an exceptional story, like Anahita said, but it is a very beautiful example of humanity. I mean, this is just, I love it. So the last (laughs) eight years, what have you, because you have college age kids now. Yeah. Being a mother where you know 100% the DNA of your children here, basically, you and her husband, but what has life been like in your mind and your heart in the last eight years when it comes to, you shared a little bit like social circles, your career, how you self-identify, your, your, your mental thought and all of that. I, I am embracing, you know, checking the box that says multiracial or other. Um, I, that now I do feel proud. When you said, did you feel proud earlier? I feel like I am now. I, I, I think what I, the thing that I am the most concerned about is taking up space where I'm not totally feeling like I should be, you know, like mm. sometimes I feel like I'm, I should, I don't have the right to walk in a certain place because I'm not 100% one thing or 100% another. So trying to figure out that it's, or accept in myself that it's okay to walk in those spaces and not and to take up space and and feel like I do belong you know so when Anahita told me about your podcast I was like wow that's that feels like that feels good that feels perfect um because I don't feel necessarily black or white or Latina I don't you know even though groups accept me um now in this 
part in this time of life, I feel like people are much more accepting and they're much more inclusive and much more able to see, you know, all the shades instead of pigeonhole you into one thing or another. So that, that is something I'm learning how to do very late in my life, you know? And that's the beauty of just aging, right? Because we grow in our confidence, we grow in experiences. And then when you're learning about your biological background later in life, boy, that might give you some twists and turns. Mm -hmm. I feel like, now we've said this before, Lisa, a part two, a part three, I feel like we could just have 8 million spinoffs, but this has been a very unique story to hear because of, well, the narrative, of course, but also to try to piece these puzzle pieces together, but also it's very, very sweet to hear how you've just embraced you over these years, right? That young little girl, theatrical, artsy little Annie on the stage and then the, you know, voice and on talent, on camera talent um, to mom and wife today. So if people want to connect with you and maybe grab a coffee or come to your show, where can people find you for maybe the next chapter of (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm on all the socials, you know, um, uh, yeah, no. so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have um I have a makeup artist Facebook page. I have my personal Facebook page, Instagram, um, I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. Oh, we're getting some tech stuff here at the very end. I would say connect with her. And we will put her um, information in the show notes. And um, I actually think Zoom kicked her off. So thank you, Jen, for joining us today. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we have so much more coming up. Um, Please listen and share this episode. Give us a comment if you have anything you want to add. Otherwise, Lisa. We will see everybody at the next episode. Yeah. And I just want to say thank you to Jen for sharing your lived experience with us on Life in Our Skin. And we are so honored and blessed to know you. And we hope our audience enjoys everything that you've shared here today. So we'll see you next time. We'll see you. Thank Thank you, you, Jen. Thank you both. Really appreciate it. Talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye.